now listening to the Pat's Pulpit Podcast. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pat's Pulpit Podcast. I am Alex Shane here breaking down week six in the NFL with my good buddy, Rich Hill. A week six that saw another wild slate of games, results nobody saw coming, and the Patriots getting back to 500 with a 38-15 to beatdown of the Cleveland Browns. Rich, it's October. MLE playoffs are in full swing. Hockey's coming back. Basketball's <laughs> coming back. The Patriots are 500. It's a good time to be a sports fan. Oh, it really is. It really is. And like uh, Patriots are rounding into form uh, per nice. usual. Uh, the the panic, myself included, uh, of the first four weeks of the season are in the rearview mirror. And this new Patriots team, the zappy led Patriots, I really like. I really like. And I, I can't wait to break that down with you here is uh, just the utmost faith that I have in this team and the fact that uh, I have never, not once ever in my entire life, doubted that Matt Patricia was going to be an overwhelming and resounding <laughs> success as offensive coordinator. No, of course not. We all had faith in him right away. They looked great from the jump. They had a fantastic offseason full of an efficient offensive game plan. And here they find themselves really executing. It's funny, man. If you look back at week one and how well they're playing at comparatively now, just totally scrapped it. I, I would I would argue they completely scrapped their zone blocking scheme, whatever you want to call their initial offensive game plan. They kept it really simple. I don't want to say they dumbed down the playbook, but they really simplified it. They know what works, and they have a young quarterback who they didn't ask too much out of. And you compare, you combine that with a very dominant defense, and you get what you got in Cleveland this past Sunday. Uh, definitely like to talk about Bailey Zappi in the offense. Cannot wait to talk about Kyle Duggar and Matthew Judon in the defense. But, Rich, before we get into the actual Patriots-Browns game, yet another wild week in the NFL went down this past Sunday and Monday. I guess you can say Thursday was wild, too, if you like awful, awful football. But <laughs> we have the Giants beat the Ravens. The Jets beat the Packers somehow. The Steelers beat the Buccaneers. The Colts-Jaguars game was a barn burner. It was like one score game there. Bills Chiefs was as advertised. Everyone saw that coming. The game of the year. Definitely AFC Championship preview. Bills now have the inside track. And the AFC Championship at Buffalo is going to be a thing of beauty if it happens. Dolphins lost to the Vikings, which is more expected due to the injury in the quarterback. But this is just a weird week in the NFL to cap off a weird season in the NFL so far. And as much as you and I talked, or more I say I talked about how everyone <laughs> thinks this year, I guess when there's just this much parody Every week is really fun to watch because there's no way anybody can predict anything that's going to happen. Oh, totally. I mean, like, just look at this stat line. If you were to tell me that a certain team, not going to name it because that'll bias you, a certain team ran for 243 rushing yards and three scores on 7.4 yards per carry, and their quarterback only threw two incomplete passes the entire game, uh, and zero interceptions, uh, and I believe it was also zero turnovers. Uh, what are the odds that they would win this game? <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, unreal. The and yet, and yet, and yet, the Colts won. <laughs> like yeah. that was the Jaguars. The Jaguars. How do you put up two hundred and forty-three rushing yards? The the Colts only put up forty-five. 
they almost outrushed them by 200 damn yards. And uh, yeah, they, they weren't able to pull it off. And uh, Matt Ryan, 42 completions, three touchdowns, uh, led a game-winning drive at the end there. Like, that is so emblematic of this past week of just, like, who knows? Any given Sunday, uh, I don't even know if there's any team in particular that I would point at. I'm curious to get your thoughts on it that I'd say is, like, cursed. Uh, maybe the Panthers, that might be the only team that I would point at that I'd be just like, oh, this team is out of it. They have no shot. Like, even the Bears, like, I, I feel like they have a chance of winning games uh like in years past there's probably like five teams that it's just like well their season's over by week four like I I don't think there's as many teams this year uh you know sometimes it's a little bit because teams are playing uh more equitably across the board um but I think that just makes it a little bit more exciting in my mind no it absolutely does I mean I'd say the Lions are screwed because it's the Lions true nothing against them this year, but historically, you know, they're going to have a huge problem and they're not going to go anywhere because the lions are pretty cursed franchise. Uh, I'm wondering if we're starting to see that kind of week six to week nine collapse of the Cardinals. They always start out really hot. I'll be monitoring that for sure. The Panthers aren't going anywhere, which is really funny, Rich. It's just that we're talking before the podcast officially went live. Just how, how massive the disparity is in the NFL between the bills and the chiefs and everybody else they're <laughs> so clearly the two best teams in the NFL by, by such a wide margin that you have to wonder, like I almost want the NFL playoffs to be like a best of seven series between the bills and the chiefs, because whoever comes out of the NFC in the super bowl this year, if the bills or chiefs make it, I think it's going to be a very kind of Peyton Manning versus Rex Grossman redux. Going. <laughs> and uh, it, it makes these regular season games that much more exciting. Cause I feel like the postseason, where anything can happen, of course, but I've never felt at this early in the season before where there's this much of a gap between the best teams and the worst teams. And uh, I'm having a blast watching it because the Patriots, Rich Hill, they're not the best team in the NFL. They're not even the best team in the AFC, but they are coming into their own as they tend to do every single October. And they took a Browns team out pretty handily that had taken it to the wire with some other teams, granted, not some great teams, but this was as complete a victory as you'll see. The offense was clicking, the defense was clicking and special teams had a punt recovery to more or less settle the game out. So if you are a fan of rapidly improving teams, I'm sure you're enjoying watching this Patriots squad play. Yeah, totally. I mean, uh, I'll also laugh uh, talking about how equitable this is. Uh, the Patriots are dead last in the AFC East, yeah. um, but they are three and three. Uh, they are tied with the Dolphins. They are dead last, but they are just like half a game out of the, the playoffs at this point in time. Like this is, I have so much hope for what this Patriots team could look like uh, because see, I mean, what you said, like there's so much that we can talk about here. Uh, the offense really continues to excel and come into its own. And I would like really want to talk about how successful everyone was, but I, I, I want to start by talking about the Patriots defensive effort, uh, because like the game was always going to be decided on whether or not the Patriots could stop Nick Chubb. You know, the Browns running back was off to the best start for a running back since like Jim Brown. And that's not an exaggeration. He was just rampaging over every single team. They're putting over, you know, like 170 rushing yards every single game. Uh, Nick Chubb, 56 rushing yards, including an 18 yarder, uh, 70 yards in total by this Browns offense on the ground. There was just a total incomplete shutdown of this this Cleveland Browns rushing attack, which was the entire engine, and the rest of the Browns offense looked wildly ineffective as a fallout from it. Alec, watching the game, what did the Patriots do to shut down Nick Chubb? 
I'll give you two words, Rich Hill, front line. It was the defensive line and how disciplined they were and the fact that Davon Godshaw and Christian Barmore were more or less able to take away the A-gaps completely. There was nothing up the middle, and they had to basically bounce things to the outside where Matthew Judon and Dietrich Wise were waiting for the running backs. They didn't over-pursue, and they were strong enough. You know, Nick Chubb's not only a very fast and elusive back, but he's one of those kind of like LeGarrette Blunt-style bruisers as well. He could bowl guys over. But they had to basically stop running north and south. Those off-tackle runs were not working. They had to go east to west, and they had enough lateral speed between Matthew Judon and Dietrich Wise and then the help from the linebackers, another huge game from Kyle Duggar, of course, that they weren't able to get and turn that corner. And it became pretty obvious early on that the run wasn't working, and they were forced to go to the air. Jacoby Brissett, I mean, he threw 45 passes. That's an insane number of passes for any quarterback, let alone a quarterback of Brissett's caliber, who he's, he's fine. He's not a bad quarterback, but you don't want him airing it out 40-plus times a game, especially with a rushing attack like Cleveland had. Now, granted, a lot of this because they're playing from behind. We are from behind by a couple scores. You have to more or less abandon the run. But it clearly wasn't working, and this was a perfect game plan for Bill Belichick and company because they took the runaway, as you and I were talking about in our Thursday podcast, make – the Browns beat you with their third, fourth best option, and they did. I mean, the the best receiver for the Browns was what? Donovan Peoples-Jones, I think, was probably the number one receiver that day. No one's heard of him. Njoku was <laughs> not really a factor other than that one big 30-plus-yard grab he had. Amari Cooper had that one touchdown, but he only had four catches for 44 yards. There was not a single player that gashed the Patriots because they basically took a leg off from under the Browns from day one with a strong defensive line play. And the rest, as they say, is history. It was great. Yeah, totally. I mean, like they were able to build up a lead, so they they were able to force them to go one dimensional. Uh, kudos across the board uh, for that defensive front, but in particular, I want to highlight Dietrich Wise, uh, who has somehow become an entirely different player this year. Uh, he had always shown flashes of potential, but was wildly inconsistent, uh, and he's now in his what sixth year with the team. And he seems to have pulled it all together. Uh, he, he is like doing what Trey Flowers was doing for the Patriots with regards to like, he's already set like a career high for sacks or like tied it at least. He's leading like the defensive line in snaps. He's bringing that versatility because the Patriots, what they were doing uh, in order to stop the run was just clog the middle of the field. Carl Davis and Devon Godshaw were huge and just being beef heads in the middle. But Dietrich Wise was being that third down lineman. If you think of, you know, the Patriots running a, you know, a three-man defensive line, Dietrich Wise was playing defensive end in that line, you know, lining up against the tackle. And the Patriots are just putting a hat on a hat and allowing players at that second level to do cleaning up on Nick Chubb and making those like tackles in kind of the grimy places. So like not open field, but just like in the mud. And Kyle Duggar, incredible day incredible day but he was doing so much work cleaning up on Nick Chubb in the, like the the first half that they just you know Duggar was his you know playing at an all-pro level in my mind um and just it was just such a perfect defense in concert Tavai was showing up like he's really developing a bit uh he's someone that like I had no faith in at the start of the year and was always wondering like why is he playing why is he playing and like for the first four games of the year it was just like he's not really pulling together. He's actually like the weakest link. And then it just seems like over the past couple of weeks, some maybe he's turned a corner. I don't know, but he seems to have started to pull it together a little bit and like has become more reliable, which I really like. Anthony Jennings got a lot of play. This is a team, a Patriots defensive front that was playing against likely the best offensive line unit that they'll see all year. 
and they showed up strongly. They showed up well. They answered so many questions. And then they backed it up with just per, like tremendous performance in the secondary. And Alec, I mean, hearing your point here, Donovan Peoples-Jones led the, the Browns in receiving, but a lot of that was in garbage time at the end. Uh, Amari Cooper, 12 targets, only four catches. What were the Patriots doing in the secondary that was, was allowing them just to stop Jacoby Brissett? Tell you, Rich, I went back and I looked at a lot of the replays for this game because I had the very similar question to you. And I didn't see anything unique or crazy in terms of the scheme they drew up. I just think they had skilled players at good positions. I mean, there was a rookie on Amari Cooper for a while, and he was in perfect coverage on a lot. I mean, a lot of the plays were just making the Browns earn every single inch of yardage they got. And players of Amari Cooper's caliber, like, they're going to make plays. And nothing you can really do about it. And I don't think there's ever a scenario. The only time I can actually think where there was like a blown coverage or a guy missed an assignment was when Kyle Duggar uh, bit on a little bit of a, an out route, I think. And, and Njoku had that open 33-yard path. Other than that, it was contested catches. It was putting a hat on a hat. It was allowing your skill players to be better than their skill players, which, of course, started up front. I think that Jacoby Brissett was, was throwing kind of in duress all day off his back foot. He's not the most accurate quarterback, even in a clean pocket. So the fact they're able to get that pressure generated, make him throw on the run, let some accuracy issues, and throw him before he was ready. So I don't necessarily would, would argue that Amari Cooper is like a, a worse receiver than any defensive back covering him. There's probably, he's probably got the edge in terms of the skill set. But combine that with the duress Brissett was under, it totally levels the playing field and allowed the DBs to have the day that they did. So this is a great example of a full team win from a defensive standpoint. Oh, totally, totally. And I, I think that they uh, approach this Browns passing attack pretty simply in the sense that like, yeah, Jacoby Brissett, not a world beater. He is a bottom tier starter, like a mid tier backup. Um, but when you look at who their top players are, uh, they're not dealing with that. Like, I, I really like Amari Cooper, but the there's no one behind him. We talked about this in the the pregame show that like if you can stop the rushing attack and Amari Cooper, and then like there's Njoku. Njoku can like have a solid day, but he's not like Travis Kelsey, Mark Andrews take over a game level. Like if you can stop Amari Cooper, you can stop their entire passing attack. And so what the Patriots did was okay, we're going to play three safeties. So McCourty, Phillips, and Duggar played you know three quarters of the snaps. But they leaned on Jalen Mills, uh, Miles Bryant, Jack Jones, uh, and uh, Marcus Jones a little bit uh, in the rotation to cover these players. So uh, they always made sure that, you know, there was like bracket coverage on Njoku. So he didn't really get a lot of free run. But they essentially just said, okay, Devin McCourty, and uh, you're just going to be over the top of Amari Cooper. You're just going to give support to whichever cornerback is lining across from Amari. And it was Jack Jones a lot. Um, and so the Patriots were just like, cool, uh, we're going to rely on our youth here. Miles Bryant stood out. He did a very good job for most of the game as well. Uh, and then like, they basically just challenged the Browns to win with their depth at receiver. And weirdly enough, uh, the Browns didn't even try. They were forcing bad passes to Amari Cooper rather than throw it to other players, uh, which I feel like is, uh, a weird approach. Um, but you know, you had like Jalen Mills in isolation against some players and they just didn't even test that. And so the, the Patriots challenged them to, you know, win with their fourth and fifth options in the office and the, uh, in the offense and Browns were just like, you know, we're going to try and force it to the people that you have triple coverage. <laughs> and like, that's why the Patriots were able to win. 
Yeah, they were. They generated turnovers. They scored points off turnovers. Interception, second play of the game, led to a field goal. There was a pick uh, in the second quarter, uh, which uh, Jalen Mills intercepted off the Dietrich Wide pressure. They scored a touchdown on that, on that beautiful, uh, uh, I think it was Hunter Henry got that, like 31 yard on the crosser. And then there was the fumble toward the end of the game where I think Brissett just like forgot to throw it. And Carl Davis was right there to pick it up. They scored a touchdown on that. So being able to generate turnovers, score touchdowns off turnovers, get points off of turnovers, good complimentary football which I guess is a good transition to talk about this offense, Rich Hill, because Bailey Zappi, the rookie, another start, another win, 24-34 for 300 yards and two TDs. Mm-hmm. He was stripped once on a strip sack, but that really wasn't his fault. It's a Miles Garrett blindside strip sack. I think it was Isaiah Wynn on the play there, shockingly. But again, not going to give too much grief for letting Miles Garrett cut to you. He's just one of the best in the league. Totally efficient. If there was a throw he made where I was like, ooh, he shouldn't have made that throw. I can't remember what it was. They were all good, well-intentioned passes. Very simple offense. Nothing crazy. Led, of course, by our boy, Ramondre Stevenson. Mm-hmm. 19 carries, 76 yards, averaging four yards a carry, which is amazing. An amazing cut on that third and 10 draw play, which we were all like, oh, why are you running a draw on third and 10? And then he he scored on a 31-yarder. But the <laughs> Thornton came back. He was contributing in the run game and the passing game. Two TDs for him total. The Hunter Henry, Johnny Smith connection showed up. Yes. Seems to have like four grabs for 60 yards in this game. That seems to be everyone's more or less baseline stat line, which leads me to believe, uh, to your point, pre-podcast, Rich, how about there's not really like, I still will argue Jacob Myers is a number one receiver, not in the kind of Mike Evans sense in terms of like a guy you're relying on to move the chains. But there's not like this elite game-changing player anywhere in the offense but there are a lot of really good players that combined can be game-changing players and being able to spread it around the way they did creatively, the way they did in a way that was mistake-free and disciplined and complimentary. Like I mentioned before, uh, that's how you put 38 points on the board. So Bailey Zappi, good for you, man. Congratulations on another big win. Oh, totally. I mean, like also like uh, there was more command of the offense. Zappi had more command of the offense than he had last week. And the offense as a whole was clicking as well uh if not and not even as well better than it has at any point this year like at no point over the past two years where the patriots have kind of you know imagined the post edelman gronkowski world of what this team could look like and what belichick and the patriots were very clear about for building their offense is we're just not going to have a prototypical number one anyone we're going to have uh, a bunch of number two options which like kind of is in line with their offensive philosophy or their team building philosophy is that like, you never want to put all your eggs in one basket and, you know, teams invest a bajillion dollars into one player and then they get hurt. There goes the entire offense. And so what the Patriots do is they have four number two receivers uh, with like even Devonte Parker being a fringe number one guy, but like, you know, he, he wasn't number one with the, the dolphins, but when the Patriots acquired him, you have Jacoby Myers who has been thrust into a number one role, but like in reality, he's best as a number two option. Kendrick Bourne is best as a number two option uh then you also have hunter henry and john smith players and then like i know aguilar is injured but like he was another historical number two option and like lo and behold if you have an injury to one of them uh you have enough players to back it up you you have a goal of putting four receiver players so not including a running back four receivers on the field that are all number two caliber which means that maybe one of them is going to get washed out by the opposing team's number one uh, and then you'll have another player be equally balanced, but you'll still have the edge with your number three and four targets. And it seems like Zappy was finding that option every single time. 
uh, they, he was, and you know, the Patriots were designing players open. Like Hunter Henry had so many open plays. It was really shocking and delightful to see, honestly. Um, but my big takeaway from this is that to what you were saying, like five players had over 60 yards from scrimmage uh, and Thornton just came in a hair below that. This was the most balanced offense. And it gives me a lot of faith that this Patriots team will be able to continue to do it uh, when Mac Jones inevitably takes over again. I'm glad you said that because yes, Mac Jones is inevitably taking over. And what I'm very excited about, if you look at the offense, the Patriots are running in September versus the offense they're running now, very, very different scheme, different plans, different reads. Simplistic is the way to go. And you may like Bailey Zappi. I love Bailey Zappi, but it'd be foolish to say that Mac Jones's ceiling isn't higher than Bailey Zappi and he's not a more talented quarterback. He just is. So getting Mac Jones back into this system it's going to be a whole lot of fun to watch. And again, I keep harping on this. I, I've heard nothing in terms of the Ty Montgomery news. I'm really hoping he can come back soon because this offense, Patriots, I should say, since the Kevin Falk era in the late 90s, early 2000s, has had a true third down back. And they're operating without one right now successfully. And I'm okay with it. And Ramondre Stevenson is one of the more versatile backs I've seen in terms of his skill set, his size, his speed, his catchability, whatever. But they, I, I think once they get that Ty Montgomery back, whatever third down back they decide to get into that role, it opens up a whole new layer to the offense. And, you know, it's only mid-October now. I guess we're creeping into late October. But this is usually when the Patriots start coming into their own. And I really don't think we've seen this offense operate on all cylinders just yet. We're showing good things. Johnny Smith, Hunter Henry, like you mentioned. Kendrick Bourne still nursing an injury. Nick Nelson Aguilar was out on Sunday. Hyquan Thornton still easing back into the, the swing of things. Devontae Parker showing flashes of why we brought him in, that beautiful sideline grab in the first quarter on third and whatever it was. Again, you, you I think we had similar conversations last year, Rich, about how you're starting to see these pieces come together. And it's just a matter of time before they are able to really start, start doing it. And it's really meaningful. And uh, what's great about this is they have a, Pretty easy schedule coming up. The Bears on Monday night should be an easy one. They got a couple easy games after that. Then the bye week and that last stretch of the season is absolutely brutal. So they really need these games to not only be wins, but to further develop that offense, get Mac Jones back up to speed. Because, you know, if they're six and three going into the bye week, they need to probably win four out of the last, you know, seven games or so to uh, to make any shot of the playoffs. And that's going to be very hard to do with the team on the slate. Yeah, totally. I agree. And like, I, I think that uh, they have the pieces to pull it all together. That's like always been like the challenging thing dating back to last year is like that feeling that they have all the pieces, but nothing is clicking. And then like for that stretch last year, it felt like things were clicking and then they had their bye week and then the wheels fell off. This Patriots team needs to keep building and not have those wheels fall off. Um, and I feel like they they won't because I, I think that's like maybe what I'm trying to take away from this game so much is that it felt like this was a non out of line growth, meaning that like this wasn't the circumstance of like, you know, they had like a couple huge plays and like they won't be able to replicate it moving forward. But like the having five players going like four for 60 is something that just says like, okay, yeah, like maybe each player will have a big play here or there, but like they were just marching down the field. And like, that's the offensive production that they need. I believe that Mac Jones can do it. And like, if, if he doesn't have the turnovers, like then like they'll be able to do it because there's a stat that's jumping out to me right now. Um, that if you look at all the quarterbacks across the league, you look at like yards per attempt, which, you know, obviously you don't want to ever box score scout. Um, and like yards per attempt is, you know, 
it is what it is as a stat. It's not a great one, but it kind of just speaks to uh, the efficiency in a sense of the offense with regards to like, okay, are you just getting big plays or are you just dinking and dunking your way down the field? Uh, the top quarterbacks in the entire league, uh, you have Tua and Teddy Bridgewater. So the, the essentially the Dolphins offense rank number one uh, at 9.0 and 8.7. They're throwing a Tyreek Hill uh, as, as well as Jalen Waddles. So like, obviously that's going to be a huge passing attack. Number three, Bailey Zappi at 8.5. Number four, Josh Allen. So he has Diggs. He has Gabriel Davis. He has another home run style offense. You have Jalen Hurts with the Eagles at 8.2. He has two bona fide number one players, Devonta Smith, as well as AJ Brown that he's throwing to. This is a great, great, great Eagles offense. Number six, Mac Jones. So what that's saying to me is that this is a Patriots offense that is not your your parents' passing attack, uh, where they are intending to get big chunk plays. This is not an accident. This is not an accident that they are towards the top of the league in yards per attempt. And uh, when the Patriots are able to execute in this way, they can compete with anyone because this defense has shown that they can stop the run against the best rushing attack in the league. They shut out the then number one offense in the entire league with the Lions. They have a secondary that is really pulling it together. The biggest if is if they can keep this up on offense and elevate with Mac Jones and ensure that Mac Jones doesn't have as many turnovers as he had because the Patriots have turned the ball over every single week this year. If the Patriots limit their turnovers, they can compete with any team. They can absolutely compete with any team. And I'll, I'll end this rant uh, with just one point. Uh, Tom Brady, when he was with the Patriots, he finished in the top five in yards per attempt, just five times. He won MVP in three of them. So 2017, 2010, and 2007, the other two times he was a runner-up, 2016, they won the Super Bowl. They were runner-up to Matt Ryan for MVP. In 2011, uh, he was runner-up to, to Aaron Rodgers for MVP. Like, it's very clear. And actually, it might have been runner-up to, to Drew Brees as well. But, like, that was a ridiculous year in the NFL. Basically, when the Patriots offense is running as expansively as it has shown to do, under Matt Patricia, of all people, this is an all-league style offense if they can keep it up. And they'll always have a complimentary, really strong defense. But the way that this team wins is if they get the lead, then their defense can, can kind of clamp down. And I just have so much hope and faith that this offense will be able to keep doing that because they're doing it in such a replicable way. Yeah, that really is the key, right? Being able to play with a lead. I, don't, I still haven't seen this team come from behind when down two scores. That is still an issue that we're going to have to fix at some point. But the good news, like I said, Rich, they got a pretty soft schedule coming up, or at least on paper. And it maybe looked a lot softer prior to the Jets being four and two. But hey, <laughs> what are you going to do? Again, they have the Bears coming up Monday night. They have the Jets. They have the Colts. Then they're off. And they have a nice bye week. I know we're going to break down our, our Patriots-Bears game on our Thursday podcast. But any initial thoughts on the Bears, who just seem to be a really, really bad team this year? Yeah, yeah, they do seem like a really, really bad team. <laughs> That's all I can. All right. I mean, they Good ran thirty-first in points scored. They they uh they have a fine rushing attack, but it's one of the worst passing attacks in the entire league. Uh, they have Khalil Herbert, who's like uh a solid running back, joined by David Montgomery, who I believe is also battling injuries though. So like, uh, they're 
kind of inconsistent on that front. They, I mean, this is another game where we saw how the Patriots started the Browns. That was as good prep work as, as any, because uh, this is a worse, much, much worse passing attack than the Jacoby led Browns and a worse rushing attack. And the Patriots were able to shut down the best rushing attack in the league. Uh, so they should be able to replicate it. The top receiver uh, for the Browns is Darnell Mooney who has 241 receiving yards. That's 40 yards per game. Uh, he's, uh, you know, he didn't really get coming to his own until week three. Um, but he's also, you know, 5'11", 170. He, he makes some big plays deep down the field. But outside of that, like, they don't really have anyone. Dante Pettis is kind of like a journeyman wide receiver at this point. Uh, they have Kmet at a tight end who was like, intriguing coming out of the draft but i feel like all notre dame tight ends are and he hasn't really put anything together like they only have three players with 10 or more receptions uh on the entire season one of them being a running back and so if the patriots can do their thing where they double cover darnell mooney and then focus all of the resources on stopping the rushing attack like the Patriots should be able to win this one running away. I see no reason to rush back Mac Jones. And I, I could see Zappi quit like very reasonably moving to three, and zero on the air. Absolutely. I mean, this should be a, I'm not going to ever take any grand game for granted. And the bears have had a extended by, you can give them a two week by if you, unless, if I, if you actually, unless you actually want to count that Thursday night game as an actual game, they'll have from last <laughs> Thursday all the way through Monday to Paris, which extra time and it's prime time. It'll be Zappy's first ever prime time game. You never know about that. Um, looking down the schedule, it's really ugly. The Patriots play prime time as soon as their bye week's over almost every single week going forward. Mm-hmm. Four straight prime time games. That's going to be brutal. The interesting test to see in terms of big game, kind of big eyes, big exposure experience for Zappy. I'd love to see Mac Jones get at least one more week on the bench. Maybe we'll need him for the Jets. I never thought I'd say that, but maybe he's the kind of guy we'll need to have in with these four and two Jets who just beat the Packers. So you never know. Anyway, by looking forward to breaking it down with you on Thursday and all things week seven in the NFL. Rich, we're almost at the halfway point. How'd that happen? I have no idea. I feel like the season just started. I'm having a lot of fun. I'm going to be honest with you. I love the when the backup quarterbacks come in and they play well. This is reminding me of 2016 uh, when there was not much more than uh, being able to break down either Jimmy Garoppolo against the Cardinals or you know whatever Jacoby Brissett was doing at that point in time. I love watching the unexpected. That's why I watched the game. Uh, and so excited to break it down more with you. Alec, that's all I have. Until next week, have a good one. You too, buddy. See ya. Thank you.